Good morning, saints. So good to have Hazel here, Hazel Parker, visiting us. And the beans are here, all the way from Guatemala. Just Michael and Kayla today? Yeah, cool. Awesome. Let's keep Julie Sheldon in prayer. She's in the hospital with, um, she tore her ACL ACL and she's got some blood clots that went to the lungs. Um, But they're dissolving and so we're praying that the blood clot dissolves quickly and she'll come home from the hospital. Scott's wife, Julie. So, some needs in the body, but good to see you guys. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you're always with us. Thank you for a new covenant that we can rest in the reality of our union with you. Father, I thank you that we can call you Abba. I thank you that you so desire to be in fellowship with us. Lord, help us see your heart toward us. Help us see how much you desire to be with us. Not that we first loved you, but you first loved us. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Lord, let us boast not in how much we love you, but how much you love us. Help us see the awesomeness of your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your your nearness. You said, call upon me in the time of trouble, and I will answer you, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Lord, thank you for an open heaven. Thank you that there's blue, there are blue skies in Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the reality of blue skies inside of us. For the kingdom of heaven has come through the gift of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of the Son of God. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the heart of God. Behold He who is good and whose mercy endures forever. Behold your King. Lord, thank you for this reality. Lord, I pray that each one of us here would be so encouraged this morning. May your spirit encourage us, comfort us, whatever the need. Remind us, Lord, of your goodness. Remind us of your awesomeness. 
Thank you, Father, for the joy that you put within us and for the peace that you give us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the quietness Thank you for the peace. Thank you for the trees that blow in the wind. (coughs) The mountains. Shimmering lakes. So awesome. All of creation speaks of you. And we are your children. Thank you, Father. Amen. Isn't it good just to be... uh, be quiet sometimes and be still. Last uh, Sunday we talked about the door, the door. And I just can't get away from that. I want to share a few more thoughts about that this morning. But um, the, the reality that Jesus actually said that I am the door and he who believes on me shall come in and out or go in and out and find pasture. And Paul was really strong in emphasizing that we are not to live by the seen, but the unseen, the unseen reality. And to, to, to grasp this reality that we actually live in a parallel reality, that we are in the earth, but not of the earth, is so key in, in our lives. Um, I just recently bought a book that um, talked about an open heaven, and um, the, the writer of the book is talking about the manifest presence of God, and he was really, his book, his whole book was about how he, um, he lived for the manifest presence of God. Um, particularly in church meetings and that kind of thing, and gatherings, revivals. But he, he does have a heart to see it, not just in a building, in a church building, but out, outside. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. The manifest presence of God is, is awesome. But the book, I read the book, and it's like it, he talked about how you have to sweat. I mean, sweat was a big part of this book. I mean, he had a whole chapter about sweat and how you have to really work and labor. And then he had to, then he came back and said, you know, I'm not saying you have to work for your salvation. You don't have to, you know, earn your salvation. But if you really want the manifest presence of God, it's not going to come easy. It's going to come through work and labor and sweat and commitment and surrender. I mean, it was, it was, I, I was reading this and, and then he had, he said there, there are five keys to receiving the manifest presence of God in your life. And he mentioned tithing, number one. And then he said, number two, um, unity in the body and number three I forget uh, intercession or something like that it was like five things he mentioned and I'm thinking oh God I'm thinking 
Um, and then he, he would say things like, um, and if you do these things, God will come into you and God will, you know, and you'll enter into where he is and he'll be in you. And, and I'm thinking all this, reading this, I'm going like, Jesus simply said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in and sit with him and dine with him and break bread with him and have intimacy with him. And I was thinking about this and I felt like the spirit said to me as I was reading this, I was like, God, I'm not against the manifest presence of God. I want to see the power of God and the glory of God and the manifest. I mean, that's to me, that's that's part of walking in the spirit that we'll have seasons of of visions and dreams and manifestations and awesome things. But it was almost like the Spirit seemed to say to me that, like you said, son, I want, I want you to be my manifest presence in day-to-day life through me living through you in loving kindness. The manifest, God wants me more than anything to be his manifest presence in in acts of loving kindness to all those around me. Acts of loving kindness. Loving kindness of mercy. And to me, the people that are so, just like so, I don't know, just so driven for this experience of the glory or something or the, and not, again, I'm not saying that's not a, that's not a good thing. It's, it's, a, it's a great, awesome thing. I mean, if there's anybody that believes in the glory of God and the power of God and the manifest presence of God, it's me. And the supernatural and the, the awesomeness of God. But what I'm saying is that it's like Jacob who said, God is in this place and I knew it not. You know? I mean, I think that once we really are aware of the door that is within us, we will have awesome manifestations of his presence and experiences that are just amazing and so forth. But the main thing that God wants is not really for us to live on these experiences, but rather to let him manifest himself through us in a a lifestyle of loving kindness, a lifestyle of showing mercy to others, because that's his heart. The heart of God is mercy. The heart of God is mercy. The cross, if there's, the cross says anything, it says mercy. His manifest presence was manifested in Solomon's temple when they sang this song, when they said these words. They said, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. When they said those words, the scripture says, the, the manifest presence of God came in like a cloud where they couldn't even stand. That's God's heart, is that we... Exhibit the mercy of God to people, the loving kindness of God to people. And, and, and we should. And, and I love the supernatural. I love it when God shows up and, and does spect- spectacular things. And he, he will do those things. And he has done those things. And he will do them again. But what I'm saying is that there's, there's, a, there's a quietness. There's a reality in God. That that's more subtle and more real. Remember, 
Jesus' miracles actually, the scripture says he was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. It's almost like the power, the power of God flows through his compassion. See, people that just are seeking power, but they, you know, treat someone mean at the grocery store because they got the last box of cereal and I wanted that box of cereal or whatever. But they want the power of God. See, there's something wrong with that picture. But if you have someone who's living in a, a lifestyle of compassion, because, because you really see that, no, the, the manifest presence of Jesus really should be him living his own life through me and showing loving kindness and mercy to everybody around me. To have eyes for the downtrodden, have eyes for the weak, have eyes for the, for the one who is... Uh, discouraged, so you're quick to encourage, quick to comfort. See, eyes off ourselves looking for the power, but eyes on others that need him. And then in that compassion, his power rides on that compassion. He rides, his compassion is, is what brings the power of God, the miraculous. And we'll see answers to prayer, and we'll see supernatural intervention and we'll see these things that are that are amazing but the heart of it will be the love of God it's like Paul Paul was saying the same thing he said you know Paul saying I know you guys you you Corinthians are all excited about the miracles you you Corinthians are all excited about the the faith to move mountains and you Corinthians are all excited about the uh, speaking in an unknown language and and prophecy and you're all excited about all these manifestations of the spirit and the glorious things that God can do and that's really great Paul said that's really great but there's a more excellent way there's something more important yes yes there's something more important. And, and he says, and if I, Paul says, this is the apostle speaking. Listen to his heart. He says, look, if I have the faith to move mountains, if I understand all mysteries, if I can really articulate the covenant of grace and the new covenant and blow every legalist away, if I have all this understanding, but I have not love, I am nothing. See? So Paul says, This is God's heart. This is God's heart is to love. Paul says, I am so willing to spend and be spent for you that you might see his love. That, that's Christ living through us. And on the wings of that life is the miraculous, is the power of God. So I just, this book kind of saddened me because I feel like there's a whole segment of, of, of believers that are just really into sweat. I kept looking for that verse in the Old Testament that says, let the priests wear linen garments that they not sweat in my house. God said that. He didn't quote that verse. <laughs> God is not into sweat. And you know, and that's why Cain's offering was not accepted by God. But Abel's was. Cain, by the sweat of his brow, raised crops, part of the curse. You'll raise crops by the sweat of your brow. So he brought, by his own work, his own labor, by his own sweat, he brought an offering to God. But Abel just had a lamb. He slew a lamb. He didn't make that lamb happen. He just, he brought blood. He brought a sacrifice of a lamb, a picture of Christ, a picture of of, uh, another Dying in his, in his stead. 
And his, his sacrifice was accepted because it was a picture of his son, of God's son that was coming. God's not into sweat. God's not into us working hard for him. I mean, that's what Hebrews 4 is all about. The rest of God. He's, the scripture says, he who has believed on this Jesus has entered into the true, the true Sabbath rest. Even as God did cease from his own works, so we do cease from our works. What, what kind of works is he talking about? Does that mean we, we're grace couch potatoes and we don't do anything? No, the works, we are to cease every single work that is designed to earn his favor. Every single work, every single thought that we have that I need to do this so he will love me more is a violation of the true Sabbath. And the reason why the, the penalty was so great in the Old Testament that if you worked on the Sabbath, you, you could be stoned to death. The reason why the type was so strong was because that was all about Christ. That if we try to work or do, um, or even if we measure his love or acceptance to us by supernatural experiences, I must not be you know, as close to him as I should be because I don't see the miracles. He must not love me as much because I don't see the miracles. See, whatever it is in our, the enemy is, you know, always trying to, to, to get us to doubt his love. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are, if you are the son of God, why, instead of resting in the reality of union. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a battle to remember. It's a battle to remember the truth. It's a battle. We all have that same battle to remember the truth. What truth? The truth that we truly have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. We truly are in union with Christ himself within. The door is within us. It's not on some mountain somewhere. It's not some, on some location on the earth. The true worshipers don't worship in this mountain or that mountain. The true worshipers worship in a different realm, in the spirit and in the reality, the truth, which is Christ within us. And it's, it's a battle to remember that sometimes. And that's why we speak the truth one to another, Ephesians says, and encourage each other in the truth to remind each other of who we are. So that we can rest in that unseen reality, so that his love can flow through us and so his power can be exhibited through us as we rest in that reality. Jesus said that, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, can I relate to that? The spirit's willing. I'm so willing on the inside. The new me, the new, the new man is so willing, but the flesh is weak. My flesh is so weak. And it's, that's the way God designed it. We're all weak in the flesh. We have this treasure in weak earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. He left it that way on purpose. That's why he said of Israel, I will drive out not all the enemies, but I'll leave a few of the enemies in the land so you won't forget me. It's pretty cool. I mean, he actually said that. He actually said, look, I'm not going to drive out everybody, all, the, all your enemies, because you'll forget me, because you'll forget that you need me. So I'm going to leave a few in there so that so when you get too comfortable in, your, in yourself and not in me, you'll run to me. You know why? Because God's jealous for you. He's jealous for me. He wants me to, he wants me to look, look to him. 
It's so cool. I love that thing about Jacob. I know we've said this before, but Esau and Jacob were twins. And it's a picture of, of uh, you and me and as an old man, the old man and the new man. It's like they were, they were identical twins. And Esau is born first, the flesh, first the natural, then the spiritual. Jacob is the spiritual, the new man, the new creation. And one of the, the first thing Jacob must see as he runs in fear from Esau, as he runs in fear from his flesh, as we are in fear of our flesh, we're fear, in fear of what the flesh is capable of and our weaknesses as he's running from Esau. The one thing God wants to tell Jacob, the new creation, is not a law to obey, not a commandment to keep, not something to do. But he showed him an open heaven and a ladder called Jacob's ladder. He showed, he showed a, a connection between earth and heaven, a ladder that, that reached to the heavens. And then Jacob woke from his dream and he said, I didn't, oh my God, this is, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate or door of heaven. And I knew it not. I didn't realize it. And so he set up a rock and poured oil on the rock and he called that place Bethel, house of God. First thing he wants us to see, Jesus comes in the gospel of John and he says, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's coming after Philip called him and he said, how do you know me? He goes, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel goes, my God, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Just that one little thing. And Jesus goes, do you believe just because I say I saw you under the fig tree? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see greater things than this. And then he said this, for you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Quoting Jacob, quoting the words of Jacob. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. I am the rock that oil was poured on, that he rested his head on. He is the ladder. He is the access. He is the door. He himself. And it's not a ladder, as this book was saying, that you climb and you gradually get closer and closer to God. See, that's the wrong thinking. You don't climb a ladder and get closer to God and I'm doing this and I'm, one day I'm going to be in that presence of God. And I'm going to No, the ladder is, speaks of a connection, an access, a door, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man speaks of open heaven, access. And everywhere the scripture talks about an open heaven speaks of favor. No, you're not. I will open the windows of heaven and give you a blessing so much that you cannot receive it. It speaks of favor. The open, of, the open heaven, when, when Jesus was baptized by John, and John said he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit come down because favor was coming to the earth in Christ. Favor, we have favor in him, not because of what we do or how good we are, but favor, an open heaven. Jacob saw favor, saw open heaven, access. Jesus was coming and saying, I am the door, I am the gate. So what are the great things that Nathaniel was going to see? He's going to see, of course, miracles of, of water turned into wine and all these miracles. But the big great thing that John, the apostle, is trying to get over in this writing is what happens just in a few chapters later when, he, when Jesus says, destroy this house and I'll raise it up in three days. What Jacob saw is what Jesus wants us to see, that he is the house of God, that he is the gate of heaven. And more than that, that he, 
went to prepare a place in my father's house, which is himself, are many dwelling places in the Greek, not mansions, many dwelling places. I'm going to prepare a place for you inside of me, the house of God. You shall become the the living stones of this temple. You shall become a habitation of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, uh, Jacob must awaken. Jacob must be aware. Jacob must remember that he is in us and we are in him. An open heaven, an open heaven. But the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And what does Jesus say? He says, because the spirit is willing... And the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Wow. He actually gives us the answer to our dilemma. Watch and pray. But if you think about watch and pray from a legalistic point of view, you might have a whole different idea of what he means by watch and pray. But if you think about it from the grace covenant and what Jesus did, I think it takes on a whole different meaning. Watch And pray. I think what he's saying there is the watch is taking a posture of simply quietly beholding. Open your spiritual eyes. I should open my spiritual eyes and rest and behold. Paul talked about beholding, beholding Christ in our inner man. Beholding the reality of your union with Christ in your inner man. Simply watching him. That's what the apostles did all their lives. They just watched him. They watched him. They walked with him and they watched him with their natural eyes. They watched. We're to watch him in our spirit. We're to, we're to behold him. The spirit will teach us how to do this. How to, how to just behold him. It's not... Conjuring up some image of Jesus, you know, with long hair and a beard. It's not that. It's not trying to conjure up something. We know him no longer after the flesh, Paul says. We no longer know him after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's not a matter of of trying to get a picture of Jesus in our head and and look at Jesus. No, it's not that. It's not the flesh. It's It's a beholding of him within the reality. Only the spirit can show us him. And be aware. You know, we've said this before in real estate. It's location, location, location. In spiritual matters, I really believe it's awareness, awareness, awareness. Because you can have all this treasure inside of you but not be aware of it. And live as a pauper. And the flesh just dominates our lives because we have no awareness. As Jacob, God is in this place and I was not aware of it. This is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. So, watch. We watch and we pray. And what does pray mean? What does prayer mean? Prayer under law and prayer under grace are completely two different things. Completely. Prayer under law is, includes a ritual of getting forgiveness, getting cleansed. Um, that was the system under law, daily forgiveness, daily sacrifices, daily cleansing, approaching God with sacrifices. Um, it is a, uh, a sense of alienation from God. God is up there. I'm down here. There was no sense of oneness. There was no sense of the father and son relationship. There was, there was the Lord and the servants. 
as opposed to the Lord says in the prophets, the day's coming when you'll no longer call me Lord, but you'll call me husband. Not that we don't still call him Lord, but what he's, the, the point he's trying to make is that there's a new covenant coming where there'll be intimacy. There won't be Lord and slave. There'll be husband and wife. Intimacy. They didn't have that. Prayer under law is a uh, slave mentality. That's why that, you know, that parable about the, the laborers that the, came in and, and um, Jesus said this. He said, which of you has laborers that come in from the, from the uh, fields? Which of you, when, the, when your laborer come in, comes in from work? Don't you, don't you sit down at your table first and you tell your servants to serve you first? And then, and that's how you act because you are the, the leader and the, the Lord of the, of the, of the fields. And so you sit down and you command your slaves or servants or workers to feed you first. And then after you're fed, they get fed. And then they say, we are but merely unprofitable servants. He goes, isn't that how you think? And he gave that parable in, in answer to the question, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. What he was saying in that parable is, he said, this is why your faith is weak. Because God is not like that. Your faith is weak because you have a slave mentality. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when the Son of Man returns, I shall have my servant sit first at the table. And the Son of Man, the King, of glory shall gird himself. I shall gird myself and serve you. In the same gospel, he says, this is how God thinks. So if we have a, a prayer under law, a slave mentality that we're trying to either earn his love or we, or we see him distant. Or we see ourselves in need of confession of our sin on a daily basis so we can stay right with God or stay cleansed with God. The, the wrong teaching that we get from 1 John 1, 9 that people have mistaught that verse as opposed to seeing that verse as a simple verse of salvation for the unbeliever to agree with God that you're a sinner and that he might forgive you. But prayer under grace, prayer under grace is like so different, so different. And I believe, saints, the first thing, this is a real key in the gospel where Jesus said, I saw you, Nathaniel. Something happened to me when I was a young believer, maybe a uh, couple of years old in the Lord and and I was and my aunt came by my house and she said she was a strong believer and she said she said um, the Lord told me to give you this book and no one had ever done that before you know said the Lord told me to give you this and it was so cool because and it was a great book too it was Risky Living by Jamie Buckingham and, and this is what happened to me in that moment when she said, the Lord told me to give you this book. I was like a child on the floor playing with my toys and my daddy was sitting here on the chair and my eyes were on the toys and I was playing and my eyes, and I, and I wasn't aware of my daddy right here. And when she gave me that book, it was like I was a child looking at all this stuff and it was like I was a child that went I looked up and I saw my daddy sitting right there 
It was so cool. It was like, I'm, it's like it, I became aware not of um, all the stuff he was giving me as a new believer, but now I was like, wow, he saw me. He sees me. He sees me. He sees me. And that, I think that's the beginning of praying under grace is realizing that he sees you. He sees me. And it's not a look of condemnation. It's a look of, oh, there's a, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. See? Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Well, Nathaniel needed a Savior just like everybody else. He was a sinner just like everybody else. What is, what is the Lord saying? The Lord sees us as we are in him. He doesn't, as, as Brennan Manning used to say, he doesn't love us as we should be. He loves us as we are. He doesn't love us as we should be. He loves us as we are. And when I say should be, I'm talking about in a manifest way in terms of fruit bearing. Because we are actually new and complete and new creations without sin and without blemish in the spiritual. But he loves us as we are now currently manifesting what we can manifest that's inside of us. And not as we should be. So it all begins with, I think one of the big keys in scripture is that knowing he sees us. And then the revelation comes that, oh my God, the one who sees me is in me. The door of heaven, the gate of heaven, the house of God. If it were not so, he would have told me. He made a place for me that I might be where he, am, where he is and, and he where I am. Union. Prayer under grace is a completely different experience because there's no, there's no sense of a continual cleansing, a continual need for confession to get right with God. There's no sense of alienation. There's a union that has come. Um, the Father and Son have made their abode within us by the Spirit. There's an awesome reality of union. He the vine, we the branches, one. He our head, we his body. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, a whole new relationship of father, son, not slave and Lord, but son, sonship, husband, wife relationship, intimacy, loving kindness. He cherishes his bride and nourishes her. We go boldly now to, to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need, boldly to this, this awesome reality without fear. We have not come to the mountain that can, that can be touched with fire and Lightning and judgment of which even Moses quaked. We have not come to that mountain. We have come to Mount Zion. We have come to the spiritual reality, the new city. We've come to the Lord himself, to angels. We have come to the place where justified men have been made perfect, Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews says, perfect. We've come to this awesome place in him, in the spirit now, not just when we die with our body, but now in the spirit, the unseen reality of which Russ is enjoying right now in fullness, face to face, knowing all things, even as he was known by God as he walked in his body, now knowing all things. He stands at the door and knocks. See, I really believe that verse in, in Revelation, I'll just wrap it up here, but I believe that verse in Revelation is, is talking to the church. It could, talk, it could be a reference to the Lord speaking to unbelievers also. 
because obviously the Lord is desiring to for unbelievers to open the door. Someone once said that the door of the heart can, can only be opened from the inside. You, know, you have to choose him. You have to choose to open the door because he's, he's willing. He stands and knocks. But per, a person must choose to believe, choose to open the door from the inside. So it could easily be a picture of an unbeliever. But it also, I think, is a picture of the believer because in the context there, he's talking to the church. A church that in that the Laodicean church that didn't see their need of him. And he was saying, you don't see my need of you, your need of me. And so he was saying, so in another sense, I think what it's saying there is that the door is inside the believer. All, every believer has a door inside of them, which is himself. He himself is the door, the gate. And so what that tells me is that his, his burning desire to sit down with me and break bread with me you know, after the resurrection, they all ran, fled, and he came through the door, the scripture says. He came through the door and was in their midst. Peter denied he even knew him three times, and you would think, oh, the Lord's going to wash his hands of Peter. Next time he sees Jesus, he's cooking breakfast for him on the beach. Fish and some bread, cooking some breakfast, and he talks to Peter. I don't know, I just, he can't communicate what I'm trying to say, I can't articulate, but I know in the spirit, God wants us to see how much he yearns to be with us. And, it, and that's, that's the thing about the, the relationship under grace, praying under grace. It's not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. That revelation of him, that it's all him coming to us, him desiring us, him being the husband, we the bride, we are receivers. He is the giver. That whole mentality is what causes the power of the Spirit of God in us, the love to bounce back or come forth back to Him. But it's in that order. First Him. First we are lost in His love for us and then we find ourselves lost in our love for Him. Under the law, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the greatest commandment under the law. Jesus answered that question correctly under the law. That it, was up, that it was up to you to love God with all that you have. That's the greatest commandment. Herein is all the law and the prophets. And nobody could do it. Because if you could do that, you could, we would not need a Savior. But the greatest commandment under, the, under grace is not to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. The greatest commandment under the new covenant of grace is to believe. To believe that he loves me with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. And he loves my neighbor as, as he loves me just as much. He loves my neighbor just as much as he loves me. From that belief, from that faith, from that reality. And by the way, believing on Jesus and his death is believing on this great love. It's the same thing. It's like, hereby we perceive the love of God for us and that he gave himself for us, see? So we, your faith in Jesus and that he gave himself for us is, a also, is, is, a, is also a faith in his great love for us. Obviously, it's the same thing, really. But it's manifest in his offering of himself for us. That's why the scripture says, in the last days, they who did not receive the love of this truth shall be given strong delusion and go a different path and believe myths why? Because they, did not, because they did not love the truth? No, it doesn't say, not because they didn't love the truth. They didn't receive the love that comes from the truth. See, some people don't, won't receive his love. And they will be 
deluded and follow a false savior or false idea. It could be Scientology. It could be whatever. Looking for a salvation in, in another because they didn't receive the love for whatever reason. Only God knows. Maybe they're too pr- proud to receive the love. They don't see their need of the love. I don't know. But Paul says they didn't receive the love of this truth that comes from this truth of God giving himself for us. But if we receive that love, as a believer, we've received that love, we find that love living through us. Anyway. We'll wrap it up. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray that everybody here would be so encouraged to walk through the door that is already inside of us. Help us experience more and more, Father, your great love for us. Help us be the manifestation of your loving kindness in all that we do. Amen. Amen.